Amber. Scott. Your neck is still not well, working that's properly. because we are filming the... Filming. Filming. We're filming. Rec- we're filming. Recording this podcast two days after our last one where you might hear me bitching about it's my It's one neck. of our... We do this every once in a while. We'll let you in on the, on the skinny here. Uh, sometimes we don't always do them on the same day. What? Well, because well, we don't really have a schedule anymore. We just kind of do this whenever. I mean, we've kind of gotten more regular now, which is nice. We kind of know what we're doing. Um, but sometimes, you know, in order to keep things on schedule, well, and, this, we have to and, and the guy, our to guest people. tonight, this yeah. was the night he could be on. So yeah, this was the night he could do it. So, so we, we got to work around here. the guest schedule so too. Sometimes it's the same week. It's it's July twenty fifth. Yeah. Just so you know, it's July twenty fifth, and we're taping this. And I think we're going to put this out on the. What did I say? What did I just tell him? The thirty first of July. Yes. Whatever. Done. This anyway, is a bunch of shit. You don't need to know. Whatever. I was super excited to have this guest on. It's Cody Merrick. This was a big one for you. Yeah, it was because we are focusing on scary stories to tell in the dark by Elvin Schwartz, illustrated by my superhero illustrator Stephen Gamble. And if you don't know who Stephen Gamble is, get online and Google it because my article will probably come up number one. I'm proud of this that. Is, I think this is your a bigger claim to fame for you than the actual <laughs> books you've written. Because I've been hearing this shit for years. and I think so. No, and there's not a thing wrong I'm with really that, but it's funny. I'm really proud come up like It came up in the Google. interview, I think, too, with, with, with Cody Merrick. You're like, it did. Oh, by the way. Did you, by the way. Did you know? By the way, did you know did I come you? up on the first page of Google? <laughs> I am number one. I no, am. On the I few- am proud of that because why is it a Southern Belle? That I has don't to say know that? because Stephen Gamble. Did you know that oh I am God. on the first Google page of? Uh, uh, I no. Sh- stop with your accents. Nope. You, you stole no. my story. No, it's all stop. Give secret Garden. Ugh, anyway, so Stephen Gamble is so elusive that just like when Cody did this documentary, he realized there was a need to do something about these stories because they're so important uh, in children's literature and, and in, in books in general. And when I wrote my little blog post back in the day, I was like, there is nothing on Stephen Gamble except for a wiki page. I like, love there's that There's nothing shit. cool. I, I think that's so cool, though, that somebody even to this day, especially with a per- at a per- Oh, you mean be elusive? Be elusive and have some... Because nothing's secret anymore. Everything, no. Everything's so in front of your face now. Everything, any piece of art that's put in front no, of you, you have yeah. to know about everything down to, you know, the person's favorite well, color and their blood type. And you know... Um, if he was open to interviews, I mean, there'd be people picking him apart. Well, what, what did you, when you were doing this illustration well, yeah. for this story, what were you thinking? What were you smoking? What were you doing? You know, where where did your inspiration come from this? And I don't know. It, I guess, yeah, it is kind of cool to just be kind of be like the Wizard of Oz and just be hiding. We I don't need, know. We need people like that, I think. Some people, yeah. and I think some people, I I like people like that. They don't have any need to be recognized to a certain degree. No. I think that's such a beautiful thing I, from a person who creates art that they can say. You know what I didn't, I forgot to ask Cody. I mean, I don't even know if he would know this, but I'm kind of curious with children's illustrations in, uh, when they illustrate a children's book and you, you hand over your drawings to the illustrator, in this case it's Scholastic, do they own the originals? Or does Gamel still have his originals? Like, who has those original I'm willing, drawings? I'm willing to bet someone like Stephen Gamel, he does have the source, oh, the originals of those. Could you imagine? Somebody like him would say, "Look, these are my originals. I'll give you, I'll give you prints of them, but I keep." Well, my I, original I mean, there's not material. even prints sold of his artwork. The best you can do is like scan something, touch it up in Photoshop, and then like print it yourself and put it in a frame, or tattoo it on your arm, or tattoo it on your arm, like you'll see in the documentary. Yeah. But yeah, we, we these talk, go ahead. These books 
I think they influence generations of people, uh, whether you just remember bringing them to a sleepover party or being influenced by the art. Because I know in some of the art I've done over the years, it's definitely been uh, gamble inspired. Yeah. And I, I remember when going to the library was an event. It at, was. At, okay, Every so, Wednesday so for we, us in elementary we school, were Friday, we were We were Friday, and it was towards the end of the day. And we would get in the library line, and I would always work my best to get into the front. Because dork. if I could get to the front, I could get over to that folklore section and grab this book before anybody else could because I was spending the night at my friend's house and we had to have this book. And and kids fought over it. It was probably one of the most checked out books like ever. And if you got your hands on it, yeah. you were like the cool kid. Well, um, and let's just let's just let's just say it here. I think and as we talked about with Cody, uh which you'll be hearing here in a few minutes. I don't think Amber or I, these are these were some of the reasons that we're doing what we're doing now. I think. Oh, these for sure. These definitely I mean, inspired these my love of creepy stuff. I mean, folklore 100%. and stories like that. I think I think these were things that were formative, and sometimes you don't, you don't even know it until some time later. Well, and right? you always you've mentioned this a thousand times on Ghostly Talk, and I'll I'll do it a thousand and one. One of the little books that inspired you was a children's well, you know what? book. And I didn't get it. You know, I, I, that, I, found, that, I know. I saw that it. I through, saw it in your head. Saw it I saw it. Like it was floating above well, in, I, a, in a clock. Like a, I saw I'm your thought cloud. I had a couple beers tonight for the show. So, I, yeah, but, 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 yeah, so you always talk froggy. about um, Haunted Houses by haunted Larry Her- Kettlecamp. Yeah, haunted Houses by Larry Kettlecamp. And that was the book that seated itself. And and Larry Kettlecamp was a lot like Alvin Schwartz. Yeah, like they just they they, they he wrote a lot of different things. Yeah, Larry Kettlecamp wrote wrote books on cooking and all kinds of stuff, right? And Haunted Houses, that particular book that he did, was just something I think he may have been interested in at the time, or maybe somebody said, "Hey, we need we need a we need a we need a ghost stories book. Can you hook us up?" Yeah, that's with and a that lot book, of children's writing. That's what they do. They just go, "Hey, we need a book on these subjects." It sunk subjects. his teeth in me, though. And yeah, it, it sunk his teeth. Yeah, and I, I'm, thank you for reminding me of that because mm-hmm. I totally I was thinking about that as we were talking, and I just I don't know it just didn't come out because I'm dumb. My brain don't, don't work don't anymore. Don't say that. I'm not a smart person. Don't say that. I'm just not a smart person. Oh my god. No. So yeah, but to be blunt with this thing, as I said, these stories I think are some of the reason that a lot of us in our 40s, let's say, who are doing this thing or exploring these subjects of the paranormal. Uh, the ether, whatever you want to call it, I think these may have been some of the stories that 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 sparked that in your mind and inspired us. Well, and for people probably in their mid thirties to early forties who grew up with these books, I hope now the new movie coming out. Produced, oh, I can't wait! Produced by Guillermo del Toro. Produced. Uh, is going to inspire people to pick up the original books again and read them and see the illustrations that inspired the creepy shit that's going to be in this movie. Because I've seen the trailers, and so far, I'm impressed. I, I'm going to go in, though, with super high expectations. So if it's going to be easy to disappoint me if like something's cheeseball or not right or just doesn't work with, I don't know. It was directed by it's, Andre o- Overdahl. Okay, what book. else has he done? I don't know. Let me look. I'm on Wikipedia right now. Oh, you should be on IMDb. Oh, okay, I'm on IMDb. I'm sorry, I hit the link and it took me there. Okay. Let's see what else he's done. Um, 
as far as the director's concerned. Um, I mean, does he do creepy stuff? Is that his thing? Troll Hunter. He did Troll Hunter. I love Troll Hunter. That was in 2010, though. The, he did the autopsy of Jane Doe, which is another kind of freaky. Um, okay, well, then, then that's his genre then. So, But Guillermo is like the godfather hanging over it. Guillermo del Toro is the man. I want to I like make I, out with him. I, I wonder why he didn't want to direct it. Like, what, I don't know. How much? How much does a producer get involved? Like, I guess I don't always understand the role of a producer in a movie. Like, it has his name on it, which looks great. I have no idea. But is does he have any creative say or like? I'm sure hey, he does. I don't He's like paying the way... for it. Well, okay, so I don't know. That's why. Yeah, I guess that's why you produce because you you can call the shots. Like, no, nah, do it like this. I want it to look like this. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't get all that Hollywood stuff sometimes. So it's an exciting. It's an exciting time. I think the movie comes out. Uh, you know, and well. I think it's August. Let's see here. Sometime um, in August. What the hell? I was looking at it here a second ago. Oh, yeah. Here, it's right here. It comes out on August 9th. Okay. That's of 2019. Yeah. We're going to have to go see that like oh, maybe opening night. Oh, we are so hooking that up. No, I, we're, we're going to totally see that. But we talked to Cody Merrick. Tonight. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Cody, scary stories. I'm just going to, I'm just going to go into his bio so everyone knows who he is. You're doing um, this on your phone? What's wrong with you? I'm reading it from the phone. You can read that? That's amazing because my eyes don't work that good anymore. Well, I mine are 2020. All right. Let's... You're interrupting my my glorious bio. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, okay. Amber's glorious bio on Cody Merrick. Scary Stories, a new documentary by filmmaker Cody Merrick, examines the history and cultural impact of the horror book series Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark by author Elvin Schwartz. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is a series of three collections of short horror stories for children written by Elvin Schwartz and originally illustrated by Stephen Gamble. In 2011, HarperCollins published editions featuring new art by Brett Hellquist, which we mentioned, <laughs> stirring some controversy among fans. Subsequent printings have restored the original Gamble art. The titles of the books are Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, published in 1981, more Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, 1984, and Scary Stories 3, More Tales to Chill Your Bones, published in 1991. That was a lot of years later. Uh, and a film adaptation is set to be released in August, like we just mentioned. Mm. So Cody came out with his documentary at the perfect time this year. It's the year of Scary Stories. So enjoy this interview with Cody. Excited about this show because I know you are. I know because one of my all-time favorite children's books are the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark series by Elvin Schwartz, illustrated by the mysterious and amazing Stephen Gamble. And when I heard there was a documentary being done about the books, I was super geeked. I've been following their progress for a long time. So when the guy who created it. Cody Merrick, yeah. who is with us tonight, yeah. uh, announced that it was available on Amazon and all those good places to stream. I bought it immediately. Uh, plus, 
also yeah. in the same year to learn that Guillermo del Toro is well, involved. Well he produced, I think. With yeah. the whole movie and the, the movie previews. All oh, yeah. the previews look great. But anyway, yeah, so welcome amazing. to the show, Cody. We're so excited to have you. Thanks for coming here, Cody. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, I think Amber's already stated, and I feel the same way. Um, as far as the, the stories were concerned, as far as the series, uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, um, I'm, I'll stand as one of the one of the millions of children growing up that when I saw these books, those you know, and the stories themselves were amazing. They're, you know, and, and that's the thing I think about about the these stories, these books themselves is is a complete body of work as, as a piece of art. I mean, they both complement each other so well as far as um, Alvin's uh, you know dark writing along with Stevens you know completely insane artwork. I don't think you could have had a better marriage, and I think that's where all this craziness that came from these books came from as far as the reaction they got. And I know my point being is that I know when I saw these books the first time and read these stories, and I'll say at least I'm more, I guess I'm more of a visual person anyways. When I saw these pieces of art, these these pictures, yeah, they have not left my mind. There are things that imprint. There's just some art, I think, that imprints and puts a hook in you, and it just doesn't leave you. There's millions of kids scarred. Yeah, we're all scarred. <laughs> but in a really good Absolutely. way. Yeah, yeah and, and you know, from the get-go, like, what I found interesting about this topic yeah. um, was that it had to do with children's books in general. Like, even though this documentary get, does a bit of a deep dive in one particular book series, in general, I found it the, the, the topic that isn't talked enough enough about is the fact that children's books matter. Like, you know, those things that you experienced when you were, you know, 10, 12 years old, eight years old, so on and so forth, those le- left an impression with you. And, and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, I think, is just a really great example of how, like, it, you know, it, it, it's, it becomes a cultural thing amongst kids. And then, you know, maybe you forget about it or maybe you're reminded. I mean, for me personally, I was reminded of these books in my twenties and, and because I hadn't thought about it, I don't read kids books anymore. I'm in my twenties or whatever, you know? Yeah. And, and then I'm reminded of them. And, and the interesting thing is how impactful they are, even though they're it's, you know, it's foundational. And in the case of scary stories to tell in the dark, it spurred, okay, now someone is just really geeks out with ghost stories and, and horror movies and so on and so forth, but it had a foundation very early on as kids. I mean, you know, yeah. same thing with the folklore. I mean, the uh, people that now do, you know, study folklore, so a, a lot of them grew, grew an interest in it because of these books. Same thing with art. I mean, and that's what we definitely get into is, you know, that some of that art that just blew you away when you're whatever age you're old, 10 or 11, 12 years old, so on and so forth, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's now plenty of artists are making their own things. And, and that, that was a beginning thing. So I just, yeah. you know, children's books in general, I just found to be and something that's not talked about enough as far as having a real big impression on people and turning people into what they later become. You know, that's a really good point. And I think a lot, you're right about that because I think a lot of people, like I know even in history, like I've seen this in movies and stuff like that. I've seen, or well, I write children's, I write children's books and people snicker a little bit, right? I don't think people Mm -hmm. take, 
that genre of as as far as like storytelling and writing. Like I said, I think it's always I don't it's obviously not frowned upon. I mean. These are artists. Mm-hmm. These are people that do amazing work. But I think you know the classics, the great, the greatest novels of all time, right? I mean, they're all they're all pointing more towards adult, you know, adult type of of writing and books. You don't really hear about. They're not put in the same arena, I guess. There's just not as many. Yes. Yeah. So and we, yeah, and go ahead. And I was just gonna say, I mean, you know, I think that that tre- it's it's trending in the right direction. But generally speaking, that's been the case. You know, been the case for a long time. I mean, uh, you, you look back at children's literature before twenty, thirty years ago, and and it, it you know it, it, everything was uh, there's nothing wrong with having you know animals in your in your kids' books and so on and so forth. But you know the. the People, um, what I say in some ways, they look down upon kids rather than kind of, you know, um, uh, uh, acknowledging that kids are, are smart and co- kids can take a lot and kids yeah, putting can, them up, know, elevating can, them. can handle a lot, yeah, you know. Yeah, and so, you know, rather than talking down to kids, you know, um, I think, you know, Alvin Schwartz is a good example of an author that's like, no, I think this is really, I think this is interesting to anyone, you know. Yes, you know, it's it's a it's a collection of scary stories, um, but it's also, you know, it has, you know, these really long source materials and, and he really gets into what, you know, um, all kinds of aspects of okay this story came from this area and here's some other variations and and mm-hmm. it touches on you know all these other societal things and, and that yeah, sort yeah. of thing so you know uh you know i think we're trending in the right direction i think the 80s and 90s was actually a, a good example of there being a li- little bit of a turning point as far as you know we we don't you know, we don't think of kids' books as just, you know, a couple of bunnies, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and this happens and yada, yada, yada. I mean, you know, it, it can be diverse and it can be interesting and, and we don't always have to be, like I said, t- uh, talking down to kids yeah. like they can't handle different types of things. And, that, and you know, everything you said there is super – I can identify with this because I've thought about this a lot. I mean, like, for example, my little nephew. I mean, he's like, what, he's like six years old now, Amber? Yeah. I've gotten I've gotten yelled at by my parents and by by my – not yelled at, but like, okay, come on, take it easy. Because I talk to – I try to talk to him on this – you know, I mean, like, he don't have a mortgage yet. I understand. <laughs> you, know, you know, he don't, he's not driving. <laughs> he's not I mean, working. He's not doing, like, you know, a big adulting type things. I get that. However, I've tried to approach, you know, what little rearing I do for that child – I've tried to, you know, come at him from more of, yeah, like looking at him eye level as opposed to looking down on him, like you said, right? And, mm-hmm. I, you know, people kind of go, hey, you know, maybe, no, don't, you're, you're, you know, you're being too hard on him. I'm like, well, no, I'm not being hard on him. I'm talking, I'm, I'm, the, I'm trying to be on the same level with him and treat him the same and not coddle, I mean, yeah, I want, I'm not coddling him too much. I, I understand that that's the weird line you walk i think is that you know they are children they don't have the the mind isn't is developed as the adult brain i get that but yeah i i think we do do a lot of that especially now even more these days uh of of more looking down and, on children as opposed to going hey you know what maybe we shouldn't shelter them from so many things maybe we should expose them to more things I and mean, yeah again to be fair I think there's certain things that, you know, maybe you need to be at a certain level of maturity before you're exposed to that. But I think, you know, 
where we're going to go with this conversation, especially, it's one of those examples where it's like, okay, chill out. <laughs> let's, <laughs> well, let's yeah. see. You know, one of the things Cody's documentary focuses on is how hotly contested these books were. And if my facts are correct, I think this was the most challenged book until Harry Potter. I think. Yeah. It, so it was it was number one in the 1990s. So okay. they the, the American Library Association, you know, started compiling a list basically in the late 80s, early 90s. And the 1990s was the first time they compiled a decades long list. And Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark was number one on that list for the decade. Now, it varies from year to year. You know, what is number one and what is number two and three and so on and so forth. They generally publish like the first top 10 or so. Right. And so um, so it was number one on the first decade that they compiled a decade-long list. And now, yes, you're right. It, 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 you know, of course, these books, the last one was published back in 1991. So, yeah. you know, and, and the author passed away shortly after the third book. So there's no new scary stories to tell in Dark, not really. And so, um, but they remained in kind of in the zeitgeist and wildly popular throughout the 90s, as well as wildly challenged. Um, but of course, you know, time passes, and yes, Harry Potter was, you know, prominent on that list uh, uh, in the, you know, in this century and um, uh, the, in the last 15, 20 years. And um, and again, it, it kind of very, and it, it it shifts over time, right? Um, and what I kind of get into a little bit in the documentary is it, it tends to shift based on, you know, a what's popular, like, and that's almost kind of the number one reason why something is challenged a book is challenged is well it's wildly pop the kids won it and they some parents have a problem with some aspect of it but uh, you know if it wasn't wildly popular no one would be talking about it it wouldn't be on exactly. anyone's list of challenged or anything like that because it wouldn't get noticed and and and, and harry potter's a, a, a fantastic example of that where it's like you know um there's pr i'm sure there's a lot of other books with witches in oh, it sure. you know and um and magic and so on and so forth but harry potter is the <laughs> number one book with uh, that has that kind of magic and so of course if you if you believe that it's you know kids shouldn't be confronted with that kind of stuff then that's your number one go-to you yeah. know yeah do you went through your research do, what do you feel bothered people so much about these books that they wanted to get them on the ban list uh do you think it was a combination of the disturbing stories and gamel's art or do you think it was more the artwork I think it's a combination. What how, what I think helps in this case is you had um, stories that were taken entirely from folklore. So, you know, um, it could have violence, but there's a reason for the violence. This is actually a story that's been told many times and so on and so forth. It, it wasn't like, you know, I interviewed R.L. Stein and he's kind of the, the, um, uh, the, you know, largest figure as far as children's horror yeah, goes. Yeah. Um, but he, he, of course was right you know, he writes stories that are completely, you know, fictional and and uh, completely made up and that sort of thing. So he, you know, uh, admittedly, you know, probably he tips his toe into into the horror, but you know, uh, definitely it's a measured type of uh, maybe not go too far with it. In this case, well, these folk tales, you know, 
are a certain way and it's it's almost in dis- disingenuous um uh to to change them and and you know take the violence entirely right. out of it so you've got a combination of that as well as the illustrations now f- my my view of the illustrations is is you know when you get, when it comes down to a you know a, a book that's challenged here in America, how how does that happen? Well, there's a process, right? And it's localized. It's done from school to school and that sort of thing. And it usually ends up at a school board meeting. Well, there's nothing like. I mean, I could describe what happens in one of these stories, but if I hold up a picture <laughs> of this book with yeah. this illustration that's gonna you know same thing with get, getting in the newspaper and so on and so forth if you have a visual there that's like you know uh, uh very striking and fantastic in my view but also striking and and, and visceral and so on and so forth that's gonna you know that's gonna get noticed yeah and so i, I think it's it's a combination of okay yes this you know uh, there's some violence and you could definitely, you know, have a, a reasonable debate as far as, okay, at what age level is this appropriate, so on and so forth. Um, but you've got that along with um, the illustrations, which can just like, you, you know, a, a teacher doesn't, or a parent doesn't have to read it. Most of the time they don't read it, but they, all, they, they don't need to. They see that illustration. They're just generally told what happens in the story. So that's enough for, you know, essentially a quote unquote mob of parents you know that it it, it snowballs yeah all they have to do is look at the image with the story the haunted house which is i think (laughs) one of the quintessential illustrations from the first scary stories of the rotting woman and oh it's the best it's the best and uh (laughs) but obviously you probably have gotten asked this a ton but when you were doing the documentary did you try to make contact with stephen gamble yes um, the, that's the a long story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I ended up talking with a, a family member and, and, uh, you know, and i uh, this, this is a essentially a five year, you know, uh, d- process of, of putting together this documentary. So, so there was, that was, there was definitely some attempts very early on and then some attempts much later where, and, and, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> um, I, I got the answer. I'm sure many people have gotten over the last, he, he, he just hasn't, he hasn't done an interview in, in, in decades. Um, what I did do in the documentary is I found, uh, an old interview he did do and we incorporated that in the documentary so you do hear hear from Stephen Gamble um but uh but you know um uh the idea of 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 getting an interview I uh, like I said he knows about it and he's he's uh, politely uh <laughs> said no thank you and <laughs> and and like I said I think he's gotten in a well, mode of doing that a lot over the years well, what, when I was doing, I'm like all proud of my like one blog post about Stephen Gamble because if you Google him, like I at least come up on the first page of Google. So I'm always geeked <laughs> about that. But when I was researching too, like how elusive that guy is, and I found some previous interviews where he had mentioned that he thought the drawings were cute and they were just funny. And he was sort of, I think, appalled that people thought his drawings were so grotesque and hideous. And him as the artist, he probably doesn't look at them the same way we do. Obviously, he mm-hmm. made these extra freaky and scary because they're for a well a, a children's book. I but think that's all in the eye of the beholder. Well, too. it can be, it can be. But when you look at his other artwork, 
I still think, because he's won the Caldecott Award for some of his other books, and he's been nominated for the Caldecott Award, and I still think that those illustrations have an eerie look to it because he had that wispy melty style with the fine lines and well yeah and it just like it's a picture of a buffalo but it still looks like a creepy ass buffalo to me even though it's in color (laughs) and it's like supposed to be happy and and maybe that's because i was introduced to his artwork through scary stories first before reading any of his other illustrated books but that's the mark of a great artist though i think i mean anybody will tell you that i think too that i mean and i don't care if it's painting or or music or 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 writing whatever it may be uh a great and to me like the top level artist that steven steven gamble is obviously in that tier is somebody when you see anything they do a flower a buffalo uh, a woman whose eyes are knocked out of her head i mean they all have that trademark look that feel like you it it radiates through you Right. And that's literally, uh, to me, a mark of a great artist. And that's Stephen Gamble. You know, when you well, see a piece of his work, no matter what it is. And people are getting just, his artwork like tattooed on them. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yes. <laughs> Cody, Cody featured this in his documentary. And it's amazing to see some of the work. You know, some of it's like, oh, God, that, that guy didn't really nail it. But some are well, amazing. I don't think that's you know, I mean. Yeah, not everybody's gonna. It's not gonna look that good right. on people. Sometimes people don't unless nail you it. gamble start tattooing. But to me, and I mean, to me, like that, to me, could be, is like the highest honor to a certain yeah. degree. Yeah, I mean, when someone's willing to take your work, yeah, whatever it may be, and and you know, well, I would say I would say permanently imprinted on their skin. But the laser stuff's getting so good now that in a couple of years, <laughs> it's not gonna mm-hmm. matter. I think. But I mean, it still is a gesture. I think a real serious tip of the hat, and you do feature that a lot. Uh, in 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 the documentary, Cody, uh, which I thought, yeah, that really takes that home with the one the one young lady who has a whole sleeve piece of her favorite, uh, you know, works of art from Scary Stories to Tell the Dark. I mean, that really is to me like the highest one of the highest honors I guess you can get from a fan, you know. And yeah, and it, and it speaks to like I was saying earlier, like how. <sighs> How, and at some point someone needs to – I don't know how you would do it, but someone needs to make a documentary that's just about nostalgia because oh, nostalgia yeah. is a weird thing. Like, you know, because there's nothing like those things you fell in love with at 10 years old. There's, there's just nothing like it and, it, and and it sticks with you and, you know, and then, you know, you find yourself – going back to it and okay now i'm you know 20 something years old and i'm thinking of a tattoo well i'm gonna go back to the to that time when i was 10 years old and something you know uh uh, moved me you know and and i'm going to put put it all over my body because it's it's something that's it's foundational it's part of who i am and and so on and so forth it's nostalgia is a weird thing (laughs) <laughs> and uh, yeah. it's it's and it's fun for a documentary. It's interesting for a documentary because you know, uh, you know, some of my favorite documentaries are ones that, uh, you know, maybe I'm interested in the topic, or maybe I'm only tangentially interested in the to- topic or the title it's talking about and that sort of thing. But there's nothing like you know watching other people who are obsessive you know about something you know yeah, um, yeah. that's that's fun and interesting but also 
for this documentary, it, it served a purpose. For me, you know, there was that pivot at the, you know, at a certain point where we talk about censorship. So, you know, um, you, you build this up as a book that, you know, had a positive effect on a lot of people. So, you know, at a, at a certain age, you know, at eight, nine, yeah. 10, 12 years old. And so when you pivot and start talking about, okay, these books were removed from schools, um, it, 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 for me, anyways, the idea was to it has you know it had a, a positive impact for a lot of people. So you know um, the, this this issue of censorship, you know, um, is uh, you know yeah. <laughs> is something we should be talking about. Yeah, no, totally. You know, and nostalgia is a real funny thing in different ways too. I find um, nostalgia not only is something. I mean, there's things in my life that I've. You know, I was obsessed with for a short amount of time, and they imprinted themselves into me, into my mind or whatever, my being, whatever you want to call it. And maybe I'll put that down for a number of years. And then years later, I somehow stumble upon that thing. Mm-hmm. And I it, it radiates, like you feel, you, it just radiates with you, right? I'm going to make a funny reference right now, like the Go-Go's, <laughs> okay? The band, the Go-Go's. Um, I, fell, I fell down the Go-Go's rabbit hole about five m- months ago, and I haven't come out of that hole yet. Um, <laughs> because I started, I just started listening to the Go-Go's. Somehow, somehow I ended up, probably Google or something stupid, something got me to listen to another a Go-Go's album. And I hadn't really digested that stuff in many years and by listening to that stuff i instinctually realized oh my god this was a this was a formative band for me growing up and a lot of the stuff that i listen to now that or the, the stuff that i really like or like to create is because of this band and i totally forgot about that right so mm-hmm. this nostalgia thing is it's got a weird it, it comes in all shapes and sizes like that where you know I didn't realize how how much of an impact the Go Go's had on me until many many years later, uh, and that's one example. <laughs> that's just off the side, but it made me think about that when you were saying that. Like where some people they be they, they'll be completely obsessed with something the day they like, if they're ten years old, like you said, right? And sometimes they'll just and it'll just stay with them. It'll stay with them and stay with them till they're older, twenty twenty five years old, and yeah. That's where we do get the tattoo thing and stuff like that. So nostalgia is a funny thing. You're right. You're 100% right on that. It's a very weird thing, and it comes in all shapes and sizes, I think. Amber's, yeah. like, jumping well, around over here. What do you, what do you want? No, I'm still ju- – I have, I have a very sore neck, which yeah, poor I mentioned on my la- our last <laughs> podcast, and I'm still suffering from it. So anyway, yeah. I'm uh, – but, no, nostalgia, when, when you brought that up, Cody, I, like, was jumping for joy because I'm a very nostalgic person. I love nostalgia. And there is Our a, house is a museum. Oh, oh, oh. so <laughs> I'm, I'm 38, so I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, and I have kept a ton of my toys. I'm a geek that He-Man and She-Ra are coming back. Um, I have gone actually on eBay and I've learned thanks to the internet that other people my age have done the same thing, but there were certain toys maybe I didn't get for Christmas one year and I'm still bitter and I'm like, you know what? I'm an adult. I can go on eBay and buy that now. And I had a Hello Kitty (laughs) bath toy that our dog chewed up and my grandma kind of stitched it like back together. It looked like Franken toy after that. It was never the same. They ended up throwing it out and I saw it on eBay and I'm like, I want that. I'm not going to play with it in the bathtub, but it's just that nostalgic 
feeling that you get when you hold that toy again. And there is something, like you said, someone needs to do a do- really cool documentary on nostalgia because there's got to be a science yeah, yeah. to it. Why? Yeah. The, why? Would, hmm. Yeah. Why? Well, there something, is a science to it. No. You know, marketing. Marketing. Well, no, 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 no. I know marketing. It right into that. No, oh sure, sure, God. sure. But I'm, I'm thinking, there. why are things so burned in your head as a kid versus something that maybe I was really obsessed with 10 years ago, I could care less about and I have no nostalgia for from the past 20, 20 years maybe. I think maybe. it's because your brain isn't, your brain well, not completely yeah, formed. I mean, and, you're still developing. Yeah, and like I yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, sure. and, and, and it's a weird cyclical thing, okay? Someone uh, uh, was ta- – uh, at some point I was reading something about Back to the Future and how in the 80s everyone was very retro about the 50s. And um, and then now we're retro about the 80s yeah. again. And so like and, and so there is there's a weird cyclical thing that happens. And really, it's a generational thing. I mean, I, you just said your age, I'll say mine. I just turned 39 and I have a nine year old son. And um, I tell you what, there's nothing like and I do it all the time showing him something that I grew up <laughs> yep. on and he yeah. loves it. And it's like, yes, that's a huge <laughs> win for me. And but but that's starting the cycle all over. Yep. Like it's a weird cyclical thing. He's into Indiana Jones, right? Yeah, that's the coolest thing ever. Yeah, of course they had that the newer one, but, the, but most of them I think of that as an '80s and '90s thing. Yeah, um, so Goonies. Goonies is a good example. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. He, he really liked the Goonies. It's like you know, and so it's this weird uh, you know thing where we you know get uh, the next generation into something, and it's not. It's we. It 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 molds. It's different because I mean, he's nine years old. He he watches way too much YouTube. You know, but <laughs> I didn't have YouTube back in the day. You know, and so on and so forth. So you know, he. It's this weird melding of. Yes, I am kind of impart you know um, the uh, entertainment and the the music and and things that I grew up on and and playing of it he likes and he gets on to but he has new things and so you know um, it's just weird but yeah Back yeah. to the Future is a weird one because it's like yes in the eighties there was a bit there was a bunch of movies that were all about the fifties right um, and because everyone was nostalgic for the fifties now they're filming filmmakers now and so so they're making movies where you go back to their childhood same thing now now we have stranger things because yeah. all yep. the yeah. people who grew up on goonies and uh you know stephen king in the 80s now they're grown up and they're filmmakers and you know now we're we, we same scary stories to tell and talk P- perfect example that couldn't have been made in the 90s because it like it, we weren't ready have, for it yet. Th- our, our generation wasn't ready didn't for didn't have yet. anyone who had grown up with them right. exactly. needed those people who grew up with them in the 80s and 90s to grow up and now you know i'm not taking my kid to, to scary stories <laughs> to tell in the dark he's uh he's he's still a little iffy on uh scary stuff um, which is perfectly fine um but plenty of people you know with slightly older kids 12 13 year old kids you know yeah. that grew up with them now they're taking their kids and again it, it creates a, a weird nostalgic cycle yeah that's so true that it's there's no way they could have done scary stories back in like just even if yeah yeah no well and and, and it's perfect timing with your documentary too it, 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 well that too but here's my theory though on this nostalgia thing i've been thinking about this a lot in the last couple of years uh, cody and here's i want to run this by you and see what you think i think we're around the same age so Growing up, like, okay, here's an example. When I see the Atari logo, even to this day, I jump up and down like a little, I just freak out. <laughs> I mean, I, it just, when I see the Atari, like, I was just out riding my bike earlier 
around the neighborhood and I was riding along and literally I saw a young girl. She was like, couldn't have been like 15 years old and she was wearing an Atari logo, you know, the, the old school Atari logo <laughs> t-shirt and I got so giddy just for a second seeing that, right? Well, that's vintage. It's, it's not vintage. That, that's <laughs> it is. That's why up. they would be well, wearing yeah, it yeah, now. Okay, fine. Yeah, the, the kids love it. The kids love it. But um, the thing about that is I thought about this because there's a, there's a handful of things that have come back pretty hard, right? I mean, number one is vinyl records. I know that the vinyl thing is a, there's a vinyl craze going on right now. Now, Oh, and actually, let me just jump in there and say um, VHS. VHS people, is the new yeah. vinyl. I have, a friend who, what? I have a friend who collects VHS tapes. My, Scotty Barefoot. Wait, our but friend that's Scotty coming Barefoot. back? Yeah, he's huge on it. He, buy, he, he collects VHS tapes, yeah. So you're right. You're right, Cody. That's a, that's a big thing too. There is there is talk of the documentary maybe getting a VHS release. Which wow. I was like, Sweet. really? Because I'm Sweet. not a VHS person, but a lot of people are. That's cool. So you know? yeah. going along this i like this down this thread though, right? I remember when I was a kid. Let's take Atari for example. When I was a kid, I wanted to have every Atari game, but a my parents wouldn't buy them for me, and b I couldn't afford all the games myself. Right now. <laughs> At no, now I'm in my 40s, and I can go somewhere. Not like I'm, I'm not, I'm not some rich person, but I work right. I can go somewhere now, and I can afford to buy whatever I want, as far as games are concerned. And I like the vintage games, so I can go someplace and find like used carts for like a couple bucks a piece. So I go and buy them by the by the truckload and bring them home. So I'm buying all these things because I have the money to do it now. And there's this nostalgia aspect we were talking about. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to, and going back to like the vinyl record thing too, there's all these things like we just could, when we were kids, we couldn't afford this stuff. We didn't have any money, but now we do, right? And mm-hmm. maybe we're at that midlife thing. Maybe that midlife thing's happening but we got, and we got money. Instead, we're, instead of buying Corvettes and stuff like that, we're buying more records. We're buying video games that we wanted when we were kids. There's a lot of little things I think we're doing, you know, maybe in our 40s now. Yeah, it maybe is, like I said, it may be the midlife crisis thing, but I think that may be a real uh component uh, component of this though too that we just we we're we're trying to hold on to that which i think nostalgia is a healthy thing i think it's good when it comes to art to do that and maybe there we're trying to relive some certain things we may have not been able to you know buy that game when we were a kid we may have not been able to buy the certain game we want but now we can Right. Yeah, so, I, I, I totally agree. I think that's a, a, a big component. Um, another thing I, I find interesting is and it might be getting the nostalgia might even become bigger now than it was previously is um, the idea that we're uh, we have a gluttony of media being pumped out all the time. Yeah. And we're us old fogies. We're a little overwhelmed with all of this, and so we 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 go back to okay, uh, comfort. It's a comfort thing. Like yeah, you know, that's yes, true. I could start something new, some new TV show or some movie that people are suggesting I should try or whatever. But you know what? I could just go watch some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yep. that I grew up on and watch that for the twelfth time, and uh, <laughs> I'll be uh, uh, you know, and it's it's a little bit of a comfort thing, you know. Yeah, Same thing is. with I've seen you know Goonies. I don't know how many times, you know. It's like it's a there's a certain yes, I can go try what's supposed to be the next Goonies or whatever. Yeah, but uh, you know, I know what I like, and I like the Goonies. <laughs> yeah, I still go back and watch episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark. The Nickelodeon 
like version mm-hmm. of the Twilight Zone. You know, you know, this, I, I this love conversation it. right here is just basically we've all turned into our parents. That's what no, we've done. I'm not my, no, I'm not. My, that, new, that new stuff you kids like, that's bullshit, no. man. Now, that stuff right here, this was partying. No. The Goonies were partying. This is not, we're, this is crap right now. No, we're this hipper. Stranger Thing stuff you guys got, all this retro stuff you guys got. This, uh, no, uh-huh. and, no, I mean, I'm, go- I'm goofing around, but to a certain degree, I mean, I think you guys should agree. With, well, you would agree with me on that, that, yeah, I think we are. Well, Cody's we like right. what we like. We yeah, like what we like. He's right, though. You get overwhelmed with well, the amount of media. You go on YouTube or any place that – Totally. Any streaming service. And I always joke with Scott uh, in the evening if he's going through, like, whatever, Amazon Prime or Hulu or Netflix. I'm like, so, you watching the menu tonight? Because he's just going <laughs> through the menu. And sometimes for 20 yeah. minutes. It's overwhelming. It is overwhelming. Yeah. And and like Cody said, too, it's like, oh, God, I, I don't want to invest in starting something new. And what if it sucks? Then I end up going and watching and The Godfather you, again for the do, 30th time. You do. And you are very repetitive <laughs> in your movies. So, yeah, yeah but, that's very true. You know, so, yeah, I mean, there's, I think, you know, we've beaten the hell out of this thing, this nostalgia thing. But there's, a, and I think there's a lot of, there's probably other components that we haven't even discussed. But I think there's a lot of things to that. Um, and that's why, yeah, when you see something like scary, scary stories to tell in the dark, it brings that back. Like we said at the very beginning of this conversation, there are images and phrases, too, in that book. Well, there's chopped but off heads and dead people. And they don't leave you. People coming back from the dead. I mean, there's all kinds of awesome stuff. I mean, but nothing that's not... We look at old fairy tales, Grimm's, Grimm's fairy tales, and those, the original ones, not the Disney ones, are bloody and brutal and we're told that all oh, these are kids stories yeah it's kind of the and, same and the concept. interesting the interesting thing with Grimm's fairy tales is that it wasn't originally for kids and it trended in that direction yeah. because that's who actually wanted them at yep. that time i mean it, it got repackaged a little bit when they realized oh kids like these uh that's <laughs> cool sure <laughs> You know, Cody, one of the things I really appreciated about your documentary and was really surprising for me as a viewer was the life of Alvin Schwartz. I think he gets a little glanced over because of the sensational drawings and amazing drawings. And I don't think people ever stop to think about Alvin's life. And you really did a great job talking about sort of he kind of had it was a sad situation. It was sad. It was very sad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, and that's just kind of the interesting experience of 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 going down uh, the rabbit hole of a particular person, a particular family, and and you know someone who passed away uh, some time ago, and 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 lingering feelings that are still there, that are still still with people, and 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 the interesting thing with this is, it, it, for me, it kind of touched on some of the things that, you know, talking about the books touch on, which is to say, you know, um, uh, death and dying in children's literature. I, I've said numerous times, it's like a, a whole nother documentary that I could have made that like, or there's, I could have added another half hour easily um, <laughs> that had to do with like, you know, how people, you know, cope with death and dying and, and how children's books are oftentimes that those very early experiences with kids being confronted with it, talking. I mean, what kid's book doesn't have parents dying? Like, I yeah. swear, it's like everyone. Harry Potter, you said earlier, but it's like that's that's just a standard like it is. Uh, plot point for so many kids. And so, um, uh, so so, anyways, so you know, and so that along with okay, here's an adult 
child who, you know, uh, older than me, you know, Peter Schwartz, uh, son of Alvin Schwartz, who, you know, has had many years to process it. But it, but at the same time, you know, uh, that's it's all still something you process, you know, it never goes away. And, and you know, we uh, we we find find ways. But anyways, you know, and literature is is is, you know, one of those ways we do it. And and that there's a lot of, you know, good things that come from 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 kids you know, exploring these things, you know, and, and the, the interesting thing, you know, about, um, uh, you know, what some people say about America is so, uh, that we don't talk about it, that, you know, w- uh, other cultures, you know, it's, it's uh, something that's, you know, delved into at an early age, and, and it's, it's not so, you know, uh, 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 controversial. Um, but here, it's like, no, we can't have, you know, a book that you know touches on these themes because they're just not ready well again like i was saying earlier kids are resilient and kids are you know uh can handle a lot and oftentimes you know pretending something doesn't exist you know doesn't really do it so anyway so yeah you know that's but it was a um, the the Schwartz family were were very cooperative and it, it ended up being something that i for me personally was part of the story um it also kind of fed into what happened at the end of the documentary which is you know we have this person who was uh became kind of famous uh, 25 years ago for being the kind of the spearhead of this movement to challenge these books yeah. and so i found her <laughs> i tracked her down and and i had her meet with peter schwartz and so peter schwartz kind of became you know he had this complicated relationship with his father but in the end he was the one who you know had this meeting to defend these books and, and say and that you was know a, and that there's, was a, there's a lot of good yeah. that happened from these books that was a lovely conversation they had too that you get you know how it was laid out in the documentary you're you know and I, that's one thing i really appreciate the older I get is two people that don't agree on something. <laughs> they can actually sit mm-hmm. down and have a civilized conversation about it and explain their points to each other and still laugh about it and shake hands at the end of the conversation. It was actually, it's a beautiful thing to see that. And it's, that was laid out in the documentary. Um, and and it's an interesting juxtaposition between that and what you see a little earlier, which is what so oftentimes happens at a school board meeting, which oh, is God, not very. Yeah. It, 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 it can be not very civil. It it can be very not conducive to a uh, civilized debate and and that yeah. sort of thing. It's like, but that's where the battle lines are. You know the for this debate is in a school board meeting and then and so the idea here is that's it's it doesn't uh, oftentimes is not the best way of of having this discussion you know in watching that those excerpts in the documentary it made me think about and you've you you've mentioned this a couple times that you know Maybe we should let children in on some of these things. They can handle it, right? And and I've been thinking about this since I watched the documentary. I remember when I was a child, I couldn't have been maybe like six or seven years old, when my mother explained to me that, look, you're going to die someday. I just want you to know that someday you're going to die. Like, you don't live forever, by the way. And I know when I was younger, I know when she laid that on me, 
I cried. I know it, 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 it made me feel like sad because that I someday I won't be here. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But she laid that on me, I think, for a reason. I think she she knew it was going to be something heavy for me to deal with, even you know, as a little kid. But she knew that I had to hear that, though, as much as, mm-hmm. as uncomfortable as it may have been for me. And, you know, I mean, like I was told many times by my parents are like, look, you didn't come with a manual. <laughs> OK, we don't know what we're <laughs> doing here. Um, but I think her instincts told her, like, look, I need to tell this kid the reality of what our existence is. And that is that it's, you know, it's not infinite. You only have a certain amount of time here um, and, you know, do do the best you can with that. I think there's a positive side of telling someone that, you know, look, you're mortal. Deal with that. (laughs) So be cool Mm -hmm. and make the most of your time. I think exposing a child to that. And I'm happy my mom did that, for example, growing up. I'm glad I'm grateful she did that because it made me kind of respect my you know respect life a little bit more and respect the time that i do have here i don't think like shielding a child from the fact that someday they're not going to be walking around and looking at their phone and playing on youtube or whatever it may be um Mm -hmm. that they're going to be gone someday like you're going to vanish you're not going to be walking around here anymore right i i and i think Mm -hmm. a lot of parents nowadays and you know I know the first argument that I'm going to get on that is, well, you're not a parent, so what the hell do you know? But I think a lot of parents don't, they do try to shield children from that. And it's obvious that this wasn't, this isn't a new thing. This was happening 30 years ago. Like, okay, look, yeah. Yeah. the idea of death, the idea of grimness and things like that, it's, it's a part of life. It's a part of existence. It's a part of, of who we are. It's part of the human experience. Right. And, the, and, the, and the, you know, there's different families and different ways they go about it. So it's 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 a tricky situation. I yeah, mean, totally. I, I yeah. definitely appreciate that. And, you know, at some point, you know, I could see having that same conversation when, with my kid. But it's like maybe I'm not there, so on and so forth. And, and different families work. So the, the, the joke I make sometimes, it's a Seinfeld reference. It's like we live in a society. Right. So, so which is to say. It's tricky because we're all we send our kids to the same schools and we, you know, and the uh, we live in a community. And so, you know, we have to come together and, you know, yeah. acknowledge that different parents parent differently and so on and so forth. Oh, yeah, so totally. where do we draw the line? So it's a tricky thing. I mean, honestly, like one thing, one comment I've gotten some is, is you know, uh, that it, this was more balanced than maybe they thought it was going to be, which is to say I did didn't try to demonize one side too much um, because I think it is a tricky situation. I don't think there's a simple answer. You know, I don't think, A, I don't think censorship is going away. And in some ways, I mean, okay, censorship is a broad, weird word because, mm-hmm. um, you know, age appropriateness is censorship. But I don't. I think most people get are on board with the idea of some kind of age appropriateness, right? 100%. I mean, we're not, you know, yeah. we're not, I'm not taking my four-year-old to, you know, um, a, a, a movie that has, you know, the craziest stuff in it. The, like yeah, I'm going to take a four-year-old to see you know Alien I mean? or something like that. I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's, yeah. they can't deal. I mean, and that's why I said earlier, too, is just, yeah, I, I do think I, I agree 100% with the idea that, look, certain there's things that we got to draw the line with here, right? Uh, mm. I don't think a child could handle a movie like Alien, for example. It's just, it's too freaky, you know? Go ahead, Amber. Well, with the censorship, uh, the... Cody, I, I think you touched on this in the documentary, but like 
everyone freaked out. Every everyone who's known me has, for the forever is, is they're like, okay, Amber's obsessed with scary stories to tell in the dark. So when the publisher decided to change the illustrations and the riots that ensued on the internet <laughs> in the comment sections of these articles. And then poor Brett Helquist, who was the new illustrator, was just like people were just slaughtering him. And he's an amazing artist. But they yeah. it's like they censored that. I think it was was it still Scholastic, I think, that was publishing it. Um, but um. I don't remember, but they, I mean, that was kind of a, a weird way of censoring those books. Like, okay, we're still going to keep Stephen Ga- or Elvin Schwartz's writing intact, but uh, let's water down the illustrations to these cutesy, pretty things. And, oh, that didn't go over well. <laughs> well, so there's a couple things there. I mean, yes, we touch on it a little bit, but I didn't want to, like, d- you know, dwell on it because yeah. I, 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 it really just kind of spoke to, okay, you know, regardless of, of the other illustrator, it just spoke to, okay, Stephen Gamble's illustrations had an impact on people. Yeah. And so that was kind of the point, right? But um, the, the thing with, with, children's books is you know you you get into it and you you realize they don't i mean i i have not talked to the publisher or you know uh, so i don't know for sure but uh, my sense is just talking with the family and so on and so forth uh they don't really like they switch out illustration for children's books all the time it's just standard procedure hmm. they they have a book that was is popular oh it has been out of it's about to go out of print okay let's and it's still popular let's let's make it fresh again okay switch switch out the pictures okay let's go ah, it's, a way, okay. it's a way to you resell it, I mean, it damn it it's a way to resell it it did not work yeah, I, yeah. not for I mean, that not yeah, for yeah, no absolutely absolutely but uh, again uh, but my uh, my sense is it's more out of ignorance and just not knowing yeah. you know that it's, it's just kind of standard procedure with kids books yeah, I can and see most that. of the time people don't make a big deal out of it because it's like you know as much as i have a, a deep appreciation for you know illustrations and children's books um you know that's part of the what what publishers do you know every so often and, and it's just it, it's second nature a bit and so um but they have they did <laughs> between the adaptation that's coming out and those using the original Stephen Gamble designs uh and illustrations and um and just generally like seeing all the press they've gotten on it, so on and so forth, they did switch back to the original. Oh yeah. Illustration. Oh yeah. So, yeah. 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 I, I mean, I feel bad. Like, like poor Brett, his, uh, his stuff will be a little overlooked, I think, but yeah, his, like you well, said, it was, Gam- that- it's it, Gamble's was the one that made the, the big impact. But did you, did you ever learn how Gamble got involved with this book? Was it just something that the publisher, do they just pull an illustrator and go here, here's the manuscript, read it, illustrate it. Or was this like a, like a partnership between the, did Gamel and Schwartz know each no, other? No, no, no. Um, so, so I, I interviewed Barbara Schwartz, who is, you know, was wife of Alvin Schwartz. Who, uh, if she's not ninety, she's pushing ninety. She's she. Um, and, that lady uh, was ninety. So uh, she was and she's, pushing ninety. She, she. Hang on. You, I'm sorry. You, you, she was pushing ninety. You said ninety years old. Yes. She didn't look. Um, she doesn't look that. She was. She, I mean, I just. You're speechless. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm, <laughs> All right, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That just that surprised me because she didn't she didn't come off that way. She's very, 
very, very alert and full of life. I mean, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, <laughs> Jody. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So she was a great interview and she, you know, she, you know, uh, had a lot of memories of, uh, you know, uh, what, what she could remember. But generally, her her take was she does not think they ever even talked. Oh. Um, that's and it's not that unusual for children's books. The, the, yet you're you were right when you alluded earlier. It's like you know, publisher. Um, now Alvin Schwartz did choose Stephen Gamble as far as to illustrate his books and he had a lot of uh, more than some authors he had a good amount of of pull with his publisher and so um uh you know not 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 that the publisher was fighting against Stephen Stephen Gamble was well established by yeah, then. yeah. Mean, again you said he won the Caldecott yeah. and so on and so forth so I mean and he's you know he illustrated if you if you look him up he illustrated a Halloween poem oh, book yeah, a I couple have of it. years before that yeah and one on vampires other yeah yes yeah yep. and the werewolf thing yep. and stuff like that so you know this wasn't this was all very natural oh of course if you're right doing something for uh you know um that's on the scary side we have an illustrator who dabbles in that and has done that before so it was a pretty natural thing um but alvin schwartz definitely liked them and, yeah. and but, but um but again it's it's not as romantic as some people might think as far <laughs> as you know how how an illustrator and a uh and a writer are paired. It's just kind of, you know, uh, p- packaged by the publisher to some degree. And, and when it's wildly popular, why would we change that? Let's k- yeah. keep going with it. Let's keep running with it. You well, know? well, Cody, you, you know, we mentioned earlier about the, you know, trying to get Stephen Gamble for an interview that was, uh, that was, you couldn't do it, but you talked about, you alluded to an interview that he, you used that in the documentary interview he did about 20 years ago, and you actually quoted some of this stuff, if I remember correctly. And to be honest with you, that was some, it was ridiculously profound what he said as far as how he approaches doing work and illustration and whatnot. And he did say, if I remember correctly, he, do, he prefers not to have anything to do with the author mm-hmm. himself, right? He yeah, wants yeah, to yeah. he wants to read the source material, read the material, and meditate on that, and then put it to paper, basically, right? That yeah, was his no, approach. absolutely. So everything kind of conforms both between what Barbara Schwartz said and what we got from that interview. It, yeah. Like, uh, you know. I, I'd say there's a 95% chance they never even talked or certainly never met. And, um, and it was just, it, it's the, you know, publishers, the mediator, the it, so on and so forth. And so, so, you know, weird. um, yeah, that's just so weird to me though, that you're, you, you have two people involved with a project that will have an end result of this piece of art. That's a combination of two pieces of art and, yeah, especially the, with kids' books. And the idea that these people could have never had any, con, you know, any type of communication whatsoever—that blows my mind. That's yeah. so it's, weird. It's, uh, um, what, what I found interesting about these books, the, between uh, the the writing and and the writer and the illustrator, is you've got three books. 
um, that spanned 10 years. And so there was a, a bit of time in between each one. And what I found interesting, and you can go back to them, and this is one of my takeaways, uh, how much you see it in the final documentary or me just kind of, you know, uh, thinking about it over time, is that both of them kind of um, branched out throughout the series in directions they were most interested in. Yeah. Here's what I mean by that. The Alvin Schwartz, uh, more of a folklorist, more of a reporter, almost as much as as, yeah, totally. a, as you know a fictional writer or anything like that. He was much more interested in folklore and so on. And um, so his the source materials of the books got longer and longer as the books went on, and he included more and more detail, and he got into more of the hi- history of these different stories and where they come from and, and um, uh, societal things. That, that you know, he just got more and more comfortable throughout the books, and it, it, he grew in the direction he was most interested in because you know he's he's the folklore guy. He's a bit uh, you know uh, that's just kind of what it, yes he's fine with scary stuff. But at the same time, you know, he—it's one of those things. Whenever you 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 meet someone who's known for something in in the horror genre, R.L. Stein's a good example. And yeah. it's like he's not like someone that's just the most goth person you've ever met or anything like that. No, it's a writer, and yes, they have fun with the horror genre. That doesn't that doesn't entirely define them. And anyway, so Alvin Schwartz got more and more comfortable with just kind of. Uh, it expanding in directions he was interested in. Now you have the illustrator, and I would actually go back to the illustrations. Look at the first ones, the second one, and then the third one. He got more and more um, phantasmagoric. Yep, uh, I got agree. M- uh, more surreal. Yep. It, 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 he he he, aban- he felt more and more comfortable with uh, abandoning essentially what the story was and say. I'm just going to do this really wicked, crazy thing. Yeah. And it doesn't really match the story, but it looks cool. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so on and so forth. And so he got more and more. Com- and Alvin Schwartz didn't mind that. He was just, you know, he was all for it. It just made for great illustrations. So, you know, uh, I I found it interesting. Like, you know, again, they as time went by, yes, they, you're right. There it is, it is weird that there were they didn't uh, collaborate but at the same time you know they got more and more comfortable with the, uh, each other whether they knew it or not and they they let the the series expand in directions they were most interested in yeah i think the trippiest illustration when you when you said surreal uh Oh, Susanna, if you're familiar with that one. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. love that one. Like, what acid trip is that? Like, for those who are listening and, and don't know what this image looks like, there's, like, a dragon man thing coming out of the sky, a creepy dude in a rocking chair, a planet maybe, oh, an ocean. Google it, for God's and sake. And some, <laughs> some creature that looks like a root that just got dug up pulling the man in the chair. It is trippy. I love it. But... Um, you know, I got a final question for you, Cody. What ultimately motivated you to do this documentary? So I started with 
um, it making sense and for me to do for me myself to do a documentary about children's literature because that's a bit of my background and also that's just my interest like i want to do a you know uh i want to start with something where the message is about literacy and so um so i started that as like okay but what's where's a story what what what's the story in children's literature that i want to tell and so i thought of these books I grew up with these books, but also, you know, I probably hadn't thought about them for a decade or so. And um, uh, I saw that. I saw that they were number one on the most challenged uh, uh, banned books of the 1990s. And I saw online that everyone had the same experience that I had, which is, oh, yeah, that one, I love that book. I, you know, yeah. I, I check that out for the school library all the time. And so you, you pair, you know, the, the, the censorship question with the fact that I knew that they were wildly popular and the fact um, that there was a certain mystique about them, right? Totally. Um, uh, because the, the illustrator does not give interviews and the author passed away a long time ago, you didn't have someone like R.L. Stein who's given a million interviews and who's a lovely person, but you know, there's not much mystique there because yep. you know, we, we've heard the, his stories so yeah. far. And so, um, so you know, the, all those things, those combinations together, I was like, wow, that's a story. There's a lot there. I, you know, and, and so, um, it was, it, I wouldn't want to start anything where I didn't already say, wow, why has no one done this before? <laughs> you know? And so that's kind of what it starts with is like, are you serious? I'm looking this up. No one's done a documentary about scary stories to tell in dark. That's insane. That's what I, yep. so, <laughs> I thought the same thing, you know, I'd love, I, I hope when the, uh, movie comes out in August. I really hope Gamel is sitting. I, I just want to imagine him in the back of a theater somewhere watching his artwork Going, come oh, to what life. A, what a bunch of crap! Well, they either, didn't get that either, right. Well, okay, either getting pissed off or like you know, WTF? <laughs> what were they thinking? Or just kind of sitting back on? Well, awesome. You, you, in the documentary. <laughs> Cody, you, you you know you do feature some people, you know other people who have done their their, their art, their their oh, tributes. They to were Stephen some of those Gale. were incredible, and and they and they they all. One of the gentlemen in particular said, "Look, there's just no way to get this right." Stephen Gamble mm-hmm. had his own thing; he had his own look, and there's no way to nail this thing. So all I'm really trying to do is get it the best I can, <laughs> which is humbling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very humbling for someone to say that, um, you know, and it's honest for someone to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, but you you still have people that are willing to take on that work. There was a gentleman, one gentleman who was doing a he was doing a clay sculpture. Oh, those were uh, so and, badass! And he said, you know, I, he literally he basically said in short form, he's like, I bit off a lot more than I thought I could chew with this thing, and <laughs> now I'm I have to get it done. Uh, but really, he said he's like, I didn't think it was gonna be this difficult, but to get the the textures and everything that that Stephen Gamble laid down on in two dimensional forms to try to do it three dimensional, it's very difficult. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you have people who and again, that just I think that's that goes back to the point I made of just amazing, great art from somebody that can stand the test of time where you have people putting it on their bodies, yeah. trying to reproduce it in three dimensional forms. We even have a feature damn film that's going to be coming out pretty soon. And then we have this guy named Cody who's making yeah, documentaries on it, too. Awesome documentary. <laughs> so, it, I mean, <laughs> it, it does speak volumes to and, and that is not to take any. Um, any thunder away from Alvin though the writing was incredible no the stories the are amazing was incredible. too incredible um 
I think I think visually though, and, and like we said, like you said earlier, the reason there was this this uh, these books were contested, right? Was because of the mm-hmm. visuals. They didn't sit down. It was even said in the documentary, like, "Did you read the thing?" Well, I haven't had time to. Literally, it was said yeah. by a principal, I think, or a superintendent. Well, I haven't had time to. Mm-hmm. But you know, you can look at a picture, and I guess it goes back to the point, the, the old saying, that a picture is worth a thousand words." Right. Sure. Simply put, yeah. because uh, people can look at a picture and they can get a million different impressions from that. But they, it takes a lot longer, I guess, to read a story and try to understand the context of what a picture may be. Um, the whole thing is incredible. Now, Scary Stories is currently right now. It just came out on DVD, didn't it, Cody? Yes, it just came out on DVD and it's out on all major VOD. Yes, uh, streaming uh, Amazon sites. video, uh, Amazon, right? Amber? I got mine on Amazon. You got yours on Amazon, yeah. so it's on all the streaming platforms, I imagine. Is it? Is it on Netflix? Uh, no, it is not on Netflix. Okay. Um, it, it 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 may end up on one of the uh, 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 subscription services at at some point. Okay. We will see. But it's out there. You can actually get a physical yeah. copy yeah, if you want. Yeah, which is you can, awesome. You can get a DVD of it if you want. Uh, Amber got hers on Amazon, like like we said. I strongly, strongly uh, impress upon all you that listen to this show to check out Scary Stories. Uh, Cody Merrick, you you were you were the director. You did. You had a, you wore a lot of hats for this. Am I correct? <laughs> yes. I was watching the credits. And I'm like, oh my God, what didn't he do here? Yes, yeah, small independent uh, film. So you got to wear a lot of hats. Yep. It was a fantastic. It was a really a fantastic journey. What, say, are, what are you, you. going to be working on next? Uh, putting it together now. Um, it's not far enough along. It, <laughs> uh, but you got so, you got stuff in the works. It, 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 I I would say it's still in the horror genre. Okay. Uh, not exactly a documentary though. Ooh, cool. Fun. Well, Cody, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us. I, I, we really mean that, and we're big fans. Uh, of of these series of books and to see someone take the time like you did uh to explore this thing and really get into the you know the i mean down to like we said the relationships uh you know peter peter schwartz for example his son we were talking about i mean there was a lot we learned from scary stories and that all goes to you so we tip our hats to you in, in a big way thank you so much cody thank you for having me it's been fun ghostly talk <laughs> Did you ever see that?